electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott, and welcome to The Exchange, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans. Coming up from down 800 yesterday to surging now 700 points today, we're going to look under the hood of this rally to see what's driving it and see if it can last as yields continue to fall. Plus, the historic drop in rates has homeowners rushing to refi, and we'll tell you how low those rates could go and also how high that might push up home prices. And as Mike Bloomberg suspends his presidential bid, we'll follow the money to answer a key question now. What will he and what can he do with his billions? But we begin first with today's monster rally. We could call it now, Bob, but it's also been a monster sell-off. Bob Bassani at the NYSE. You know, we're getting used to these six, seven hundred, eight point moves and the Dow Jones Industrial Average happened again today. Large of it, health care. Uh, we're sitting right near the highs for the day. Volume is still heavy, but not as heavy in the last couple of days. I think it's important to point out uh, and take a quick look at some of the big Dow movers. United Health, that's not a typo. Twenty four points. That's a significant part of the Dow's gains. Health care, of course, moving generally Pfizer on the upside. Lower chances of Bernie Sanders getting elected. This is the way the market's looking at a higher chances. Joe Biden uh, might be the nominee against President Trump there. Uh, banks, no bounce at all today. This is the day for them to bounce, but you see very little going on here. Of course, yields at new lows and the probability of slower loan growth, another component of bank profits, also uh, not doing very well. Finally, all this volatility, hey, it's helping a lot of these big market makers. Virtu just put out preliminary numbers for January and February, much higher than expected. Higher volumes, higher volatility, all help the people who make the stock market and make the quotes that are out there. Virtu is one of the big market movers of the year so far. Guys, back to you. That's a good point, Bob. We appreciate it. Thank you, Bob Bassani. There's plenty of confusion still that lingers over the Fed's emergency rate cut yesterday. So what do the Wall Street pros think of it, and will it help the U.S. avoid a recession? Steve Leisman is here with the results of his latest CNBC Fed survey. Mr. Leisman, what's the verdict? Yeah, our flash CNBC survey, Kelly, finding uh, Wall Street thinking, on balance, the rate cuts were a positive, but won't be enough to address the total economic fallout from the coronavirus. A strong 62%. Majority approve of the Fed's rate cut, 25%. You can see right there, disapproved. But only 30% think it will be even somewhat effective. None of them thought it would be very effective. 43% say slightly effective, and 23% not at all. Still, another 50 basis points of rate cuts are expected from the Fed this year, and 35% of respondents believe the Fed could go to zero in the next 12 months. Even after the rate cut, the probability of recession in the 12 months, the next 12 months, sorry, has surged to 41%. It's the highest it's been in the nine years we've been asking this question on the CNBC Fed survey. Forecasters estimate the coronavirus will shave 0.6 tenths of a percent off of GDP growth this year. They see a modest rebound, just a tenth of a percent, Kelly, for next year. All right, Steve, come on over as we talk a little bit more about this. But that's pretty striking that zero percent of respondents thought it was very effective, the Fed's move yesterday. Let me just bring in uh, our guest to talk a little bit more about this and where the economy's headed. Charlie Babrinskoy is head of the investment group at Ariel Investments, and Jim Bianco is president of Bianco Research. Uh, guys, welcome. Charlie, what, what stands out to you about Steve's assessment here of how everyone's digesting this rate cut? And how do you as an investor feel about it? 
So I'm in the 25% that opposed this. I think I've been pretty public in saying it wasn't going to help. It was going to send a negative signal about what the, what the Fed is seeing. The Fed obviously has ways of seeing what's going on in the economy and them making this kind of cut um, sent a signal to the market that they're seeing big problems. And so it's not going to affect the economy. The interest rates were already extremely low. It's going to hurt bank earnings. Uh, I just thought this was a bad idea. And frankly, I think the market reaction yesterday showed a lot of people agreed with me. I thought it was interesting, Charlie, that you, you have financial names on your list here. KKR, Lazard, you know, slightly different businesses. But Northern Trust, you're not concerned about what these low rates are going to do even to their uh, earnings model? Yeah. So uh, the way we built our firm at Ariel is uh, trying to think long term. And the way we invest is to find a great company that's trading cheap because of some short term factor. And uh, below 1% 10-year is a short-term factor that's totally out of line with the last 200 years. When interest rates return to their normal levels, uh, which they will at some point, Northern Trust is going to make a lot more money. Obviously, if we're going to have a below 1% 10-year for the next 10 years, then right. Northern Trust is not going to do well. That's, exa- that's exactly, Jim, let me bring you in on that, on this idea of whether or not these rate levels that we're looking at are going to be short-term or not. Uh, I think they're going to be a little longer term than people think. I do think in the bigger picture, we're near the final throes of the 39-year bull market in bonds. Hmm. But they might last several months or a year or two more before they eventually go lower. And if we get, as the survey said, any kind of hint of a recession or a big slowdown, we could probably see the 10-year note go down near zero before it's all said and done. Although I, I see here that you don't necessarily, so you actually are in the inflation camp in a little bit longer term. You think how this could, it could end, Jim? And I'm curious if you still feel that way, having seen the way that Japan and Europe have gone over the past decade, where nothing in their experience suggests that big inflation is going to end their bond booms. If anything, like you said, zero and negative rates have become the norm. Why wouldn't that happen here instead? Well, if you, ha- you have to look at the virus and say, is there a long-term consequence to it? And is that long-term consequence deglobalization? Are we going to start demanding that we pull back operations and manufacturing facilities from places like China and bring them home? That will lead to more inflation. That will lead to higher interest rates in the long term. It will also lead to a compression of multiples in the stock market as well, too. So it won't be a panacea for the, in- for the general stock market. And that is kind of the concern you have to look at from here. This is not going to be, well, I'll go home in a month, it's over, and then we'll go right back to where we were in January. I don't think we will. I think there will be longer-term consequences mm-hmm. yeah. at the top of that but you list. Guys seem kind of, you know, I don't know what we were arguing about last time, but you seem to kind of agree on that point about uh, rates anyway. Let me bring Steve Leisman back into uh, the chat here. I'm truly trying to understand the criticism of the Fed here. Um, first of all, uh, the idea that the Fed panicked the markets, uh, let's be clear, uh, the Chairman telegraphed this on Monday, on Friday, the day, the, the, uh, three days earlier. Um, the uh, G7 came out with a statement that morning. Uh, Corotta, Lagarde said they were going to do this. But most interesting is this idea that you think the Fed panicked the market by providing information about negative outcomes that it had that other people didn't have. I, I, I don't agree with that. I think the Fed has the same information we all had. But let's say you're right about that. Is it your contention that the Fed should have withheld that information from the market? Steve, first of all, we're just talking about what words, drove the market were going down. To be bad, the market but it was up 300. The market was up three or 400. Right. They cut rates by 50 basis points, right. and it dropped about 800 points. So the market clearly agreed with me that it did not like what it saw. And the reason is 
that there's a big difference in a, in a short-term problem. You can b- agree with Larry Kudlow, as I do, that this is going to be a relatively temporary headwind for the economy and that we're going to return to normal. Or you can take the argument that this is a big deal to a big deal on the economy. The Fed yesterday signaled the latter, and I don't think the market liked that. Jim, I'd like your response on that, too, as we what sit here with the Dow up in nearly context of being 800, up 800 points. points. Right. <laughs> so does, right. The rally is building today. Sanders. Bernie Sanders uh, coming to an end is why the market's up 800 today. Jim? Uh, yeah, I agree with some of that about today. But going back to the Fed yesterday, um, I was calling on Sunday night that the Fed was going to cut rates on Monday, and they eventually did it Tuesday because the market had it completely priced in. The market was begging the Fed to do it. It was priced in. And I'll go you one step further. The market is expecting another 50 basis points at the March 18th meeting. So they're going to do 100 basis points inside of two weeks is what the market is telling the Fed to do right now. So that's what I think was the catalyst. It wasn't about the Fed making a noise. It was about they finally came along. Down 800 I think that was more of a disappointment of where's the ECB, the the Bank of England, where is the rest of it? Where's the coordinated action? It was just a Fed move. I think the market thinks it's a lot more serious. Steve, you last can... Week, just, was, just last week quickly, was one of the worst quickly. weeks ever. Joint, final the, final the, thought the here. The Fed made a consideration about a material reassessment of the outlook following a material reassessment of the outlook by the stock market, the bond market, the World Health Organization, the IMF, the World Bank, the entire G7, and almost every medical expert that's out there, I would suggest its consideration of a material reassessment was well-supported. All right. Meanwhile, Charlie's also buying Borg, Warner, and Snap-on. So I, you're sticking your neck out, Charlie, putting your money where your mouth is, and we appreciate you guys. We are buyers guys. when others are sellers. Exactly. Thank you all for being here today. Thank you. Charlie Bobrinskoy, Jim Bianco, and our own Steve Leisman, of course. And be sure to tune in tonight for CNBC's special report, Markets in Turmoil, 7 p.m. Eastern time. What a ride it's been. Let's get to Deirdre Bosa. She joins us now with the Market Flash on Uber. Deirdre. Hey, Kelly. Well, it's actually the ride-sharing shares. Both of them are spiking after Uber CEO Darvar Khosrow Shahi said that the coronavirus outbreak will not have a material impact on the business overall. He's currently speaking at the Morgan Stanley Internet Conference here in San Francisco, and he said that there is nothing harming, nothing that Uber cannot adjust to. He also was asked about their profitability target later this year, and he said, quote, I sit today more comfortable about our fourth quarter target than I did when I first made the statement. As I mentioned, Lyft shares are spiking, too, on the back of those comments. And yesterday, Lyft's CFO spoke at the conference and reiterated this current quarter's guidance, also playing down the impact of coronavirus. Lyft shares are up nearly 8 percent right now. Back to you. But again, it is a strong tape today, Deirdre, but still uh, pretty important stuff. We appreciate it. Thank you. Now let's turn to the 2020 election and a Super Tuesday for Joe Biden, as we just heard. Michael Bloomberg has now suspended his campaign after a poor showing. And Kayla Tausche is also out in San Francisco with the latest for us. Kayla, uh, Kayla, our guest suggesting the market is rallying, at least in part because of this Biden win. It does look like things are lining up for him now. Yeah, after a dismal first month of primaries, the former vice president swept Super Tuesday, secured access to unlimited funding from his former rival, and is now forcing Elizabeth Warren to reconsider her candidacy. According to NBC News, Biden has more than 500 total delegates, about 50 more than Sanders, thanks to 458 delegates won in Super Tuesday states so far. It's still somewhat of a close race, considering that a candidate needs nearly 2,000 delegates to become the nominee. But the Joe Mentum, as it's being 
called is clear, winning the home states of both Elizabeth Warren and A.B. Klobuchar, where Sanders had seen strong support in recent polls. Heavily liberal California, the biggest Super Tuesday prize, is still too early to call. Maine is too close. In exit polls, more voters suggested they wanted to build on the policies of President Obama than institute more liberal ones. And if that remains true in states like Michigan, Florida and Pennsylvania, Biden will run away with the lead in the Democratic primary. Kelly. Kayla, what would be the I love the momentum term, which I hadn't heard. Um, as now we see this uh, market sentiment, frankly, swing all the way around now to him having this locked up. I'm now just trying to anticipate, OK, what become the, the hurdles? Then it's never this easy. There's still a long time to go. What are insiders saying about, you know, how Bernie still might have a path here? Uh, well, certainly, Kelly, I mean, the, the delegate allocation in California is going to be telling for Sanders. And then it really depends on, you know, whether he can keep up this grassroots support that he has been touting throughout the race so far and whether he can retool his message for the rest of the calendar, which includes a lot of those manufacturing heavy swing states. Michigan is the one that's coming up next. Uh, but what remains uh, to be, the, I guess, the insurmountable obstacle or potentially insurmountable obstacle obstacle for Sanders is all of all the money that Vice President Biden is going to be getting from Mayor Bloomberg's campaign now that he has endorsed him, abandoned his effort and is going to be redirecting all of his resources, his staff, his money toward that campaign going forward. And it's it's hard to envision, Kelly, uh, these small dollar donations being able to stand up against that. But of course, you know, we've seen a, a lot of twists and turns in this race. So we certainly have. Uh, we certainly have. Kayla. And we're going to talk a lot more about that money angle again in a little bit. We appreciate it. Kayla Tausche in San Francisco today. Now, coming up, airline executives are at the White House today as that industry reels from coronavirus. Hundreds of thousands of flights have been canceled and fees are being waived left and right. So who has the balance sheet to weather this storm? We've got some names for you. Plus, here's a look at some stocks that can give you big yield as government bond rates continue to plunge. We'll have that in rapid fire. And as we head to break, let's check in on the Dow, up nearly 800 points a moment ago. And leading the way, United Health is up more than 9% today. American Express up 5%, 3M Pfizer, J&J all up more than 4%. We're back in two. This is The Exchange on CNBC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back. The airlines have been taking it on the chin as fears and flight cancellations over coronavirus grow. Just look at the losses over the past month. Americans down nearly 40 percent. And today the White House is holding a summit with airline CEOs to address this crisis. Phil LeBeau is live for us outside the White House. Phil, what is the administration hoping to accomplish today? Well, this was about the coronavirus task force talking with the airline CEOs about tracing contacts that international passengers have when they come into this country. In other words, can it be improved? Can there be a better way of tracing where a particular person, who they had contact with once they get into this country? Separate from that, though, 
The real question is whether or not the administration can do something to give the flying public more confidence that they can get on board to go on a particular trip, go to a business meeting. Here's what the president had to say about that today. I think where these people are flying, it's safe to fly. And large portions of the world are very safe to fly. So we don't want to say anything other than that. And uh, we have closed down certain sections of the world, frankly, and they've sort of automatically closed them also. And if they'll understand that and they understand it better, perhaps, than anybody, yes, it's safe. Still, you look at what's happening with the airlines, they are noticing a softening of demand. Definitely internationally, domestically, around the edges. I've talked to the number of executives who have said, yeah, we're noticing some weakness out there. A number of airlines, American, United, JetBlue, Alaska, they're all waiving their ticket change fees. And the domestic schedules, generally speaking, are holding up. Here's the United CEO, Oscar Munoz. We're exploring all the different ideas and aspects that we can do to, to ensure that our plans are as safe as possible. Uh, from the ASK perspective, anything that continues to project stability, calm. That was Oscar Munoz talking to the president saying, look, we would love for you guys to say it's safe to get back in the sky to fly. But as you take a look at shares of the four largest carriers in the U.S., these stocks are all under pressure and many of them down today, Kelly. Because the general feeling among investors, and when you talk with analysts, they hear this all the time, there's no sense of knowing when there will be a bottom in terms of saying, okay, we think people are going to start booking trips again at the rate that was expected earlier this year. Yeah, I heard Secretary Mnuchin telling us earlier, uh, same idea, you know, it's safe to fly commercial. Phil, thanks. We appreciate it. Uh, Phil LeBeau at the White House today. For more, let's bring in Brandon Oglinski. He's the airline analyst at Barclays. Brandon, it's good to see you. And I mean, you think the airlines could have quite a bit of upside here. What makes you so positive? Well, I mean, look, it's ingrained in the fabric of Americans here. On average, I think the average U.S. citizen gets on a plane, let's call it two and a half times a year. So we would really have to fundamentally rethink whether or not travel is going to be long term impacted by, you know, what ultimately could be a very seasonal impact of a virus that could die out during the summer, which historically has been the case for a lot of these, you know, historical precedents. So you'd kind of say to people, look at Warren Buffett, you know, if you have a very long time horizon, he bought shares of Delta or, or Berkshire did, you know, again this week. Uh, but then people should keep in mind that case could take a while still to normalize. I mean, th this is going to be a rough ride until we've totally got our arms around this thing. Well, that's right. I mean, look, there is long-term value here. Again, this is a consolidated industry. The cost structures are equal. We do think there is an ability for these companies to generate profitability, even in a recession scenario. And I think you'll hear most management teams echo that. But the fear, like Phil said, a lot of investors right now are calling us saying, well, hey, what if travel goes to zero? How much cash burn do these companies have? Exactly. How much balance sheet do they have remaining? And if you look at like an American, you know, anywhere from 30 to 40 billion dollars of obligations on the balance sheet, that's obviously a concern for folks that think that this could be an extended uh, circumstance of demand destruction. Right. So you've got American with a four times debt to EBITDA ratio, roughly kind of debt to income. Uh, that's twice the industry average. Southwest is at, you know, 0.6. So would you recommend American here or would you only recommend those with a stronger balance sheet? Well, look, American has, you know, roughly half the profitability as Southwest, too. So that's a big indicator of relative leverage. 
And I think if, you know, America's management team was on here, obviously they'd say we're seeing impacts in the near term. But long term, we see no reason why we can't actually improve the profitability of the business from here. So therefore, you know, if you want to swing for the fences, there's a lot of equity upside potential at American. We just need to get past this 24-7 news cycle that is really, you know, sparking a lot of fear, but maybe irrational fear at that. I mean, maybe, but I hear more fear from, you know, people in my neighborhood than I do from uh, my colleagues in the media. Final thing here on, you know, the timing of this move and, and the strength of these balance sheets. Um, you know, you see the jet fuel you think could potentially cushion the blow because at least the drop in oil uh, means there's some relief on that front, right? Well, that's right. If you look at fuel prices, they're down about 20 percent. We don't know how much demand is down right now, and I think most of the carriers would even tell you it was a very fluid situation. We don't know how bad bookings will actually get from here. The indication so far, though, is that it's not nearly as bad as the stocks would predict. Uh, but you're absolutely right. With the decline in fuel prices, that's going to offset you know, a good 20 to 30 percent earnings cushion of whatever could come from negative bookings related right. to this. Brandon, we appreciate it. Different point of view here on the airlines. Thank you. Brandon Naglinski is uh, the airlines analyst over at Barclays. And coming up, healthcare stocks are getting a big bump today from Biden's Super Tuesday victory. We're going to look at the biggest winners in the sector ahead. Plus, he entered the presidential race to defeat Trump, and today he says he's leaving it for the same reason. So what exactly does Michael Bloomberg plan to do with his billions now? And what is he allowed to do with them? We'll dig into that ahead. Remember, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. The Exchange is back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Welcome back to The Exchange. The rally on Wall Street has been building all day. The Dow is now up more than 800 points. We're pretty much sitting at session highs right now. That's a three and a quarter percent gain by the Dow. It's the best performer today, in part because United Healthcare is up nearly 10 percent. The S&P, the Nasdaq, are up just under 3 percent today. And here's a look at the healthcare providers ETF. The IHF is having its best day since 2008, getting a big boost from Joe Biden's Super Tuesday win uh, with a now 8 percent gain. Bertha Coombs is live at the Nasdaq with more on the action in these healthcare stocks. Hi, Bertha. Yeah. Hi, Kelly. What a difference a week makes. The S&P health insurance sector is on pace for its best gain, You, as you mentioned, in 12 years. A big relief rally uh, to a great extent following that decisive Super Tuesday win. Matt Borsch of BMO Capital says Biden's surge makes the potential election outcome less binary for insurers and hospitals. Bernie Sanders has campaigned on outlawing private insurers and effectively setting price controls on providers through his Medicare for All plan. United, which is still down from a high on February 19th, is among those that would get hit on both sides. Its insurance and analytics business would go out of business and feel, would also feel the pain 
in its army of 30,000 doctors. And when you take a look at United's moves year to date, it plunged sharply a couple of weeks ago as Bernie surged on that Nevada win. And today the reverse is happening. That orange line is Bernie going down and United is moving higher. Still a long way to go for the election and there are regulatory hurdles ahead. But one analyst told me that the market sees anybody but Bernie as less of an existential threat for health care. All right. They certainly do. Bertha, we appreciate it. Bertha Coombs. Let's get over to Sue Herrero now for a CNBC News update. Hi, Sue. Hello, Kelly. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. Supreme Court justices showing sharp divisions as they hear arguments in the first major abortion case of the Trump era. Justices are weighing a Louisiana law requiring doctors who perform abortions to have admitting privileges at a nearby hospital. The high court struck down a similar law from Texas in 2016. The coronavirus death toll rising sharply in Italy with 28 new deaths over the past 24 hours, bringing that country's total to 107. Italian officials also announcing the closure of all schools and universities nationwide through at least March 15th. Here at home, the Kroger supermarket chain limiting the number of sanitizing products and cold and flu medicines that customers can buy. Kroger saying on its website that it will limit the number to five per order. And Saudi Arabia now banning all pilgrims from visiting Mecca. Last week, the holy site was closed off to foreigners. Officials did not say how long that ban will last. You are up to date, Kelly. That's the news update this hour. Back to you. All right, Sue, thank you. Coming up, $546 million and 14,000 part-time jobs. It's not the Bloomberg campaign. That's what was lost when World Mobile Congress was canceled due to coronavirus. And that's just one of hundreds of events like that. We're going to look at the trickle-down effect. Plus, low rates may be bad for savers, but they are great for home buyers. Just how low will we go and when does it make sense to refinance, we'll ask. And speaking of housing, here's a look at the home builders today, seeing some big gains again. LGI up 4.5%, Pulsey and DR Horton uh, up more than 3%. The whole ETF up 3.5% today. We're back in two with Rapid Fire. Welcome back. Let's catch you up on a bunch of stories that should be on your radar today. It is time for Rapid Fire. And here to break down the headlines are Frank Holland, Contessa Brewer, and Robert Frank. Welcome, everybody. Uh, first up, the big news of the morning. The field in the race for the Democratic presidential nomination is now down to four after Michael Bloomberg dropped out after his disappointing Super Tuesday performance and endorsed Joe Biden. That's important because the question now, we heard Kayla talk about this earlier, Robert, the big bucks in Bloomberg's coffers. Where do they go? Where can they go? What are some next steps here? Right. So as Kayla reported, he said from the beginning, I'll either be the candidate or the most important person to that candidate. So now all this Bloomberg money, $500 million so far going into this race. So just on a per delegate count, he has spent over $10 million per wow. delegate that, that he earns. So I mean, there is something... Clearly not the best return on investment. Wouldn't you say it's a somewhat of a relief that you can't just waltz into an election, you know, throw half a billion dollars at it and win? I mean, on, on, a, you know, on a democratic level, yeah. that feels somewhat comforting. Exactly. He and Tom Steyer, Tom Steyer putting $200 million into this election... Bloomberg putting 500. Those two together just didn't compete. Is so the money that, they've that already is, spent, that's gone now, that's right? Gone. Okay. That's gone. Now, the question is, Bloomberg said he would spend a billion or more to get Donald Trump out of office. So half billion is gone. Will he put a half billion into Biden? Now, now he can do that unlimited amount of spending after the Citizens United ruling. He can spend whatever he wants as long as he either does it through a PAC or by himself. 
not coordinated with the Biden campaign. Right. So okay. there will be none of that. I'm Joe Biden. I approve of this money uh, <laughs> from, from <laughs> message, Biden, Robert, from, message from, from Biden. Um, but but he will welcome that funding. And it's unclear. Obviously, you couldn't resurrect a, a sort of unresurrectable candidate like Bloomberg with money. But will money sort of catalyze right. Biden and, and, and give him any help? And that's kind of an open question. Sure. But but they're not going to take any risk that it won't help. Also, I think the Biden campaign would be very careful and cautious about that money, because remember, there are a lot of Bernie supporters who absolutely revile Bloomberg and taking Bloomberg's money or using it in some in a way to advance right. your and campaign the billionaire could discourage yeah. well, the Bernie supporters from unifying sure. the Democratic Party. Although that'll be less true for Biden than any other candidate, because Biden has welcomed big money all along. He's welcomed, no, but it was Bloomberg he's welcomed the corporate money. He has welcomed the, the billionaire donors. So I think it would be hypocritical for him to na- now say, I'm going to take every other billionaire, every other corporate money, except for Bloomberg. Real He'll quick, take it wherever he can Because we're about it. to hit some news, but is the method of of the Bloomberg spending, the Instagram influencers, you know, the meme stuff, should we expect to see more like that, or is this just going to pour into TV advertising? Mostly TV and radio. That's where the money's going. All right, by the local TV stations. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> exactly. As I mentioned, we've got some breaking news from the Capitol Hill. It is on coronavirus funding. Elon Moy, they passed the bill. Well, not yet, Kelly, but they have reached a deal on what exactly that emergency funding bill to respond to the coronavirus outbreak will look like. The rough price tag is $8 billion. It includes $6.5 billion that will go to HHS, including $1 billion that will be directed towards state and local governments. $3.1 billion will go into an emergency fund for public health and social services. Part of that money will be used to buy medical supplies. The NIH gets $836 million. There's $1.25 billion for the State Department. And there's up to $7 billion uh, that small businesses can access through the SBA for loans in case they are impacted. Democrats are also highlighting that there's $300 million to help make vaccines affordable once they are available. Um, That was a key sticking point in the final hours of this negotiation. We are now expecting this bill to drop in the House later this afternoon. The House does plan to vote on it today, and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell told reporters just a little bit ago that he wants the Senate to vote on it this week as well. Kelly. Thank you very much, Elon Moy, tracking the action there on Capitol Hill. And now stocks are still near correction levels because of this coronavirus sell-off. And importantly, the yield on that U.S. 10-year, which I keep watching on our screen, and it just sits below 1%, Frank. Investors want yield anywhere they can find it, especially anywhere safe. Stocks are now offering, you know, some eye-popping return, you know, yields, we should say, but only if people, again, feel like those dividends aren't going to be cut. You know, absolutely. It's like a rock and a hard place, but instead it's volatility and coronavirus concerns. So a lot of people are looking to, you know, blue chip stocks with high dividend yields, and that includes a McDonald's, a Verizon, or an AbbVie. But a lot of investors are also looking at stocks that are outperforming the market, even going positive since this coronavirus outbreak happened, hmm. and still offering those high yields. And that's stocks that you might not think about every day. Campbell's Soup is one of them. Great hmm. results moving the stock higher today. There's also other companies like Crown Castle, a company I hadn't heard of until a few days ago. They Salt operate tower. data centers. Those aren't going anywhere. Um, other stocks like Duke Energy, utilities, that's one of the best performing sectors in the S&P since this coronavirus outbreak happened. So a lot of people are running to the safety of utilities, also tech. Right. And that's how you get the best of both worlds, the price appreciation and the dividend. Contessa, exactly. the interesting thing is to look at insurers, which in a way are kind of the worst of both worlds, because they might have the high dividends, but only because the stocks have gotten hit because of low rates yeah, and how much it, it damages them. If you look at uh, MetLife, for instance, or Prudential, these are huge global life insurers. They rely on 
rates and they're in fixed income. So a lower treasury yield is really squeezing them. It's something that they've addressed on multiple earnings calls. And Lincoln Financial, you've got a a yield here of 3.44%. That's great. Except Lincoln Financial has just been walloped because of the stock. Now, the question is, how much pressure are these insurers under so that they have to cut dividends. If we haven't seen that so far, the insurers on these calls, when they've been talking about the challenge of a low-rate environment, have said, but we're protecting the dividend. How long does that last? Absolutely. And, Robert, probably we don't know yet, but I am curious what strategies those who are wealthy, who have access to advisors, who can come up with all sorts of creative solutions, what what do those solutions look like? Well, like you you say, we don't know yet, but years from now, we will look back at where people walked way out on the risk curve right now because they're being driven there to get some kind of income. And I just remember all the conversations I had with the wealthy investors in 2008 that they said, look, we can't get any other return unless we go into these high-risk corporate bonds or these structured products. And that's all the these 10-year was at 4.5%, not below 1% like and it is now. And there is a reason they call it a risk-adjusted return. Right. And right now you're just not getting paid for the risk that you're actually taking. We will find out years from now yeah. what the consequences of this mm. were. No, so true. All right. Uh, meanwhile, hundreds of conferences, trade shows, and exhibitions globally have been canceled because of coronavirus. Now, that costs companies and local economies a ton of revenue. Some of the big Biggest cancellations are Google's Developers Conference, the Geneva Motor Show, and the Mobile World Conference in Barcelona. As of right now, South by Southwest in Austin is still slated to start next week, but Amazon and TikTok have now pulled out of the event. The mayor of Austin says, hey, we're going to work with the city, and whatever the city decides to do, we're going to do. But this is a big decision, and it could have repercussions if the organizers and the city leaders don't take the right step. And again, they might not know until afterwards what was the right step, but take IHS Market. It said that it has canceled the TPM conference in Long Beach, California, the Sarah Week Energy Conference in Houston, the World Petrochemical Conference in New Orleans, and it said these cancellations will deprive it of $50 million in revenue, ding profits by $0.09 per share of adjusted earnings. When we talk about canceling these big conferences, is there insurance? Yes, there is, but usually, and they vary from event to event, the organizers would have to take out an extension to cover communicable diseases. And then comes the question, is it, is it a covered event if you're canceling out of fear? Instead of, of an actual, di- oh my Instead goodness. of actually the government saying, no, there's an actual risk of a spread. And so there's likely to be back and forth on this. The same way we anticipate lawsuits on business disruption. Yeah. There may be lawsuits about what's a covered event in this event. And by the way, well. it's not just events that bring people together. You see the James Bond movie is now going to be delayed until November, the newest James Bond movie, because there's, the, again, you can't, and this is why Disney shares have been hard hit over the past month or so, because if you have a a big box office timing now, especially if you're counting on China for revenue, like in the case of Mulan, this is just not, you're just not going to see what you would have. And, and, and by the way, look at the hit to cities like Las Vegas, Chicago, Orlando, San Diego that rely on those revenues sure. from conferences, then their tax bottom line gets hit as well. Yeah. You know, on the other side of this, we haven't seen any major sporting events canceled. The three major sports, NFL, uh, MLB, and NBA, all of them said they're looking into it. They're setting up task force, but no plans to cancel any games. We're talking about conferences being canceled. Those are kind of one shots with like a, a kind of closed group of people. A basketball game, I mean, I would imagine the turnover is probably somewhere upwards of 50% and all types of people not only sitting in close contact, Mm -hmm. but eating, drinking, spitting on each other. To be clear, are you calling for an end to March Madness, Frank? Because I'm hearing a lot (laughs) of caution. I'm not calling for anything. I'm a big sports fan. (laughs) I want to see it. 
to Contessa's point, I can't imagine the insurance you would need to cancel March Madness, how much money no. the NCAA and all those cities would or lose. Or if it's even, I mean, if, if we really need to go that far for coronavirus, we need to figure out how many people have recovered from the disease, continue to do so, what the mortality rate really is. There's a lot of panic now. We need more information. Don't worry, because Meg Trail is coming up next. And in terms of keeping your phone clean, Todd, come on over. Todd Hazelton is CNBC.com's tech okay. product editor. We all talk about keeping the hands clean, most right. important, and I haven't been good at it, keeping the phone clean. What do you find? You did a little investigation here. What have you found? So I found, I looked on Apple's website, right, like how to clean your phone properly. And generally they say, don't use cleaning products, which I've been doing for years. I always take a Clorox wipe and wipe down Ooh. my phone. They say if you have one of the newer phones, like an iPhone 11, uh, you can use a little bit of water and like a dab of soap and wipe it down. But what I've, I actually recommend are these Wait, alcohol what's wipes. What's the downside of using Clorox? So the downside, lose? that's a good question, Frank. One of the downsides is that you could remove potentially the oleophobic fingerprint uh, covering on the screen. It's like a special coating that they put on top, and that just prevents fingerprints. So you could potentially damage it or even scratch it. But a lot of these products, like just lens wipes for your glasses, now these don't really have those that are, much alcohol. Those don't disinfect, though. Right. I mean, right, I right, use those right. all the So time. these are like for glasses. So if you want yeah. to be soft on the screen, you don't want to damage the screen, you could use these. Or just alcohol wipes. These have 70% isopropyl alcohol. They're really cheap. You get a bunch of but them. But that, wouldn't that damage Ooh. your phone? A no, so these should, these should be generally be fine. I mean, again, I've been doing, it, I've been doing this for years. Yeah. I know it's against what they say to so do. Alcohol but if on you're your trying phone to get rid is of fine. Germs, good, good to know. If you're trying to get rid of germs. Yeah. I don't know if it's, you know, long term. <laughs> and then there's also special cases. So this one's actually just called iJust. It's for actually lowering the blue light. But it also has uh, antimicrobial coating on it. So if you wanted to use just a screen protector that Hold it up kind of in front of your face. There we go. Yeah, perfect. You could do that. Or what I recommend, if you're worried about that oleophobic coating and you want to follow Apple's guidelines... Something I think about all the time. It's the, yeah, the oleophobic coating keeps, yeah. keeps, me, keeps up me up at night. Exactly. <laughs> I just spell I'm it an oleophobe. Buy, buy a cheap screen protector and wipe that down with Clorox. I also want to show people are now on. spending you know, hundreds of dollars on these UV light uh, cleaning yes. Apparatus. Here's an example of how it can look for your phone. You can get these on Amazon. Yeah, Ironically, they're probably low. made in China. Uh, but point being, is something like this recommended by Apple, or do they have any qualms so about they people using these? They don't have anything on their site about this or any, any documentation, but generally they're supposed to work pretty well. I just ordered one so I can test it for myself. The one I ordered is called Phone Soap. It's about $120, and it fits most phones. Sometimes phone you worry about soap. Yes. That, that, <laughs> it's a good this name. Is, Was this product on the market before? Yeah, these have been a long, around for a long, long time. Um, they're UVs used in hospitals, apparently. Key question. Like that, so. Who lets someone else touch their phone? Yeah, I'm Actually, the one that touches my phone. No, but it's what your phone touches when you just put it down on this table. Yeah, like I bring mine dirty. into the restroom. No, no I'm way. just going to say it. I do. I do. I, listen, Ew. I carry it around because I have to... <laughs> To pay for food and things, so it goes into the cafe. Yeah. I, go, I try to leave it on the sink, you know, but then I'm like, I don't. You know think what? That's I, I just better. realized though, if you use AirPods, you're not putting your phone next to your face, so maybe AirPod right. sales will benefit because people can keep their phone away from at least their face. You're not as, supposed to touch your face with no. your hands. Maybe not as your phone. As long as Apple's supply chain can hold up. Yeah. I think that's a great idea, though, right? If you're not going to put your phone against your face, yeah. you can just make calls through Bluetooth headphones. Like but you're AirPods. still touching your phone and then touching your face. Yeah. Try, try so that's the idea. That's the idea. So try not touching your face, which is very hard. And then wash your hands and then wash your phone. And I think, you know, All it's right. a better than just touching a dirty At least we learned we're not supposed showers. to use the just Clorox total bleach. Bleach. Yeah. <laughs> not supposed to, but I do. Todd, we appreciate it. Uh, oleophobe? Oleophobic coating. Oleophobic coating, right. I have okay. Oleophobic. Yeah. Todd Hazelton, <laughs> uh, Robert Frank, Contessa Brewer, and. Uh, 
Frank Holland. Yeah, see, when we have it, it both the Franks, it's we the, all get well, he called Robert Frank, Frank is my middle name. Uh, so there's a lot of confusion. Even worse. <laughs> Coming up, mortgage refis are surging as rates fall. So how big of a mortgage refi boom could we get? And what will that mean for homeowners, for the banks, for the economy? That's all next as we head to break. Here's a look at some of the most searched tickers on CNBC.com. The 10-year tops the list today. 0.992 is the yield right now. The Dow, Apple, Tesla, the S&P round things out. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Exchange. As the 10-year Treasury yield sinks, it's taking mortgage rates down to historic lows. The average rate on a 30-year fix is now sitting around 3.2%. The drop in rates led to mortgage application volumes jumping 15% last week, but the real surge is in the refi business. New data shows that mortgage refinancing volume is up more than 200% compared to a year ago. With Treasury yields continuing to falter, could we see Mortgage rates drop below 3%. For more, let me welcome in Andy Walden. He's director of market research at Black Knight, which is a leading mortgage and home equity data and analytics firm. Andy, what do you think? Could it ever happen? Sub 3% mortgage? <laughs> we wouldn't have thought, right, over the last few years that it would ever get there. I mean, if you look at the average spread between 10-year treasury and 30-year mortgage rates, over the last six months, it's been at 1.9%. So with 10-year treasuries below 1%, theoretically, you would think it could um, but typically when we see 10-year treasuries drop the way they have over the last week or so, we don't see quite that same level of reduction among 30-year rates. I think we're still, at least for the near term, likely a little bit above 3%. You have some great uh, information about how many borrowers we could be talking about to refinance. Um, 11 million, 12 million, 13, 14 million. I mean, what, what do you guys kind of estimate here? Well, so as of last week, when Freddie reported interest rates, they were right around 3.45%. And at that rate, there are about 11 million homeowners that we estimate could save about three-quarters of a percent through refinancing. If rates fall this week, right, Freddie will report their numbers tomorrow morning. If we do see an eighth of a point drop, that number jumps by 15 percent to 12.8 million. If it drops a full quarter of a percent, we're now up to well over 14 million homeowners that could benefit from a refinance, a 30 percent jump in a single week. Span. What about new buyers, and what is the impact of all of these falling rates having on boosting home prices as a result? Right. And we've really been seeing that trend play out over the last 18 months If interest rates have fallen from around 5 percent in late 2018, all the way down to three and a half percent and below now. And really starting late last fall, we started to see the housing market start to shift. You saw home price growth rates go from just over three and a half percent. They're already up to five percent. And last time we saw affordability at this level, they were between six and a half and seven percent. So still some potential upswing there in terms of home price growth. Right. Which in a way could make housing less accessible to people, even though you think low rates would help. Let me just go back to where I started. You said usually there's about a two point spread, 1.9 points or so between the Treasury rate and the 30 year mortgage rate. So yep. is it possible that we can fall uh, further here or or is there a structural reason why at some point these banks and mortgage companies need to make a profit They'll keep it. It kind of reminds me of when oil prices fall and people watch what happens at the gas station. Will they try to to keep that spread where it is or even wider? Right. And I think it's certainly possible. You tend to see the spread lengthen the further further down treasuries go. And, and we're kind of in uncharted territories in, in terms of 10 year treasuries. We've never seen them below one percent. So somewhat of an unknown in terms of how 30 year rates will react. But typically you you see a little bit more modest movement among 30 year rates, a little bit more spread when rates fall as, as much as they have. Would you refinance right now? 
I mean, we're, it's certainly something to look at. We, we've refinanced in the past, and we already have a low rate locked in, but certainly something that I think homeowners should look at, especially homeowners that have larger first lien balances. You're also seeing homeowners kind of look at the record levels of equity that there is out there in the market today. They're looking at record low 30-year rates as well, and we're, we're seeing large volumes of cash-out refinance activity enter the market uh, as well. So that could be a growing trend here in, in 2020 as well. The house is the ATM once again. Is- yeah, I mean, hope- hopefully not to that degree. Right. I think we're seeing a lot more conservative behavior today than what we saw in 2005, 6, 7, um, but, but certainly an increase in that type of activity. Very, very interesting. Andy, it's good to see you. Great information. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks, Andy Tom. Walden is with Black Knight. Now, lawmakers just agreed to allocate billions in emergency funds to combat coronavirus. This after California has declared a state of emergency. Let's get to Meg Terrell, who joins us now with the very latest on the coronavirus outbreak. Meg? Hey, Kelly, well, that $8 billion package to combat the novel coronavirus expected to go to a vote in the House potentially later today. Now, this as Vice President Mike Pence, who's leading the U.S. response to the coronavirus, said the CDC would lift all restrictions on testing so that, quote, any American can be tested, no restrictions subject to doctor's orders. But testing capacity is still ramping up with doubts about how close the country actually is to the one million test capacity that's been cited by the FDA commissioner. Meanwhile, case counts are growing in the U.S., reaching 135 across 16 states. Now, that includes six new cases in L.A. County and four more in New York. L.A. County declaring a local emergency today, though it notes it hasn't detected cases spreading in the community yet. In New York, the four new cases all connected to the Westchester patient identified yesterday. So Meg, come on over. So there's, there's two main questions, I think, right now. One is about the severity of coronavirus itself. Um, do we know the recovery rates of anybody who's been affected? Is there any way to know uh, or estimate how many people might have had it but not have it but not have serious, you know, and severe symptoms. I mean, it's really hard, even if you think you have it. I've read stuff from local doctors who say you have to prove you had been in contact with somebody who might have been in an affected area and prove you have symptoms in order for us even to test you. So I just wonder if it's if the death rate appears higher because the total case count is underreported. A lot of people think that is the case right now, that we are detecting the most severe cases, the ones that show up in hospitals, and therefore right now the death rate is going to appear higher than what it probably will turn out to be. What we do know out of China is that it looks like 80% of cases are mild. So a lot of us might actually end up getting this and either not know, think it's a cold, really not have severe symptoms. It's the elderly and people with underlying conditions who really do need to be worried and that we need to be worried about. I almost wonder if we had it last. I'm just saying. Everyone in the house was sick. Is it just a coincidence? Well, I mean, it is flu season. Cold I know, season. but it, was, it wasn't the flu. Uh, all right, Meg, thank you. We appreciate it, Meg Terrell. Uh, coming up, markets are rallying today after yesterday's deep sell-off. CNBC's top financial advisor tells us the advice he's giving to clients next. Welcome back. We have a huge market rally today. The Dow's up 818 points. It's close to session highs. Stocks are now on track, in fact, for their first positive week since February 14th. We have a 3% gain uh, for the Dow and nearly that for the S&P and NASDAQ. But these 1,000-point moves have become the norm, and we still have rates at historically low levels. So what should investors do? Joining me now with some tips is David Ray. He's president of Salem Investment Counselors, and he's number one on CNBC's list of the top 100 financial advisory firms of 2019. David, it's great to see you. I'll cut right to the chase, especially if you're someone who's, say, around 55 years old. What should you do uh, in this environment? Uh, Thanks for having me. Um, We are counseling just patience, being calm. Uh, most of our clients we've worked for for decades, and we 
tend to stay pretty fully invested. So our clients are actually not calling in much. They're pretty calm. We think the outlook for the you know the United States economy is is great in the long run. So if anything, we're looking to add into some positions. Right, and I see if you're that. 55. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, so if you're 55 and have some room maybe to add to some equities, I think that would be prudent. Um, buying into fixed income with a long time horizon at, at 1% on the 10-year, which means it's 100 PE, doesn't seem like a great deal. So we probably would be looking to add exposure. Um, but you can be patient. I think we're probably going to go through some, some more ups and downs sure. as the virus uh, works through the, the um, supply chain. So you, you, we're counseling patients, but we're looking at things that might be attractive. And I see here for, the, for that age group, again, we're talking about someone who might be in their mid-50s, although you'd counsel equities for all ages. Uh, you're saying this could be a good time to take advantage of those low rates by refinancing the home, as we were just talking about, or consolidating debts using home ec- equity line. That's true. Uh, it, you know, uh, you know, I've been doing this 35 years, and I didn't think I'd see uh, mortgage rates this low. So, yeah, that'd be a good opportunity for someone to refi and maybe even use a little of that um, to buy some equities if, if things continue to be kind of rocky. And you think it's okay here, as as I look for someone who's 65 or, or so, 75 or so, you know, especially the 65-year-old age group, you say it's okay to invest your cash into equities and focus on total return stocks you know, this group shouldn't be afraid of, of cashing out a, a, in, a, in a down market? Uh, I don't think I would counsel them to cash out um, of the market, but I, I guess what you're saying is what I, what I counsel them to invest more. Right. Um, oh, yeah, I guess it, it always depends on your overall situation, right? We, we manage money for uh, primarily high net worth individuals, and so... If you've done your allocations correctly and you have some extra cash, yeah, I think it'd be okay to to add in a little bit but okay. into the stock market. But again, I don't think you have to be in any rush. I think we've got two to four, five, six months of some choppiness going sure. on. David, it's great to see you uh, with all, all of this uh, happening in the market. Thanks for joining me. Okay, thank you so much. David Ray of Salem Investment Counselors. That does it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.